You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, it's Graham. Welcome to a classic big interview. Today, join me. We're going back to season 2015-2016. This is what I had to say about it back then. The great thing about Peter Beardsley, the footballer, was that whenever you watched him, however much you paid for your ticket, you knew that you were going to get value based on him doing something impish, creative, daring, anarchic, skillful. Peter telling his own story transfixed me. I hope that the eccentricity, the joy, the fun transmits itself into this big interview. At Liverpool, I thought he was the extra element that allowed that club to do unbelievable things, passing moves that is the closest I've seen to the Pep Guardiola Barcelona. And Peter Beardsley has been a theme across this big interview series is that he's one of those players from the modern time. I said the same to Gordon Strachan and meant it, that he could easily have fitted into the Spain side, which won three straight tournaments. And Beardsley could easily have played an Andres Iniesta role in Pep Guardiola's Barcelona. That's how good I think he was. It turned out that he's also a gent, that he passionately loves talking about the game. He's like a young kid when it comes to the ball. He continues playing. In fact, just before we sat down with Peter Beardsley, played a 90-minute game in the indoor centre at the Newcastle United training ground. It was an absolute refreshing joy to speak to this unadulterated man of football. Sit back and, and lap up this fantastic football life told by Peter Beardsley. Right this very second, there's, there's a degree of optimism because Steve McLaren is clearly week by week doing things. And oh, absolutely. You can see some nice little players, and but when it's big here, when it's flowing, this club hasn't done the same things as the biggest clubs in the world. But I bet you that you could swap this atmosphere when things are going well for the tune with anything in, in Liverpool or Madrid or Boca Juniors or Bayern Munich. When, when things are on the absolutely. up, it must have felt like you died and gone to heaven in those first couple of years with promotion and then doing well. Absolutely. The promotion for me, and obviously being a fan, to help them get promotion. Like I keep telling people now, Graham, no matter how much money you have, there are certain things you can't buy. 
whatever you do, you know, you might be the richest man in the world, but you can't pay to play for Barcelona, yeah. Chelsea. It doesn't matter. But to play for Newcastle as a homegrown, to be a fan, to actually go on there and wear the strip and you know that you've got your mates watching you was one of them things that you just couldn't buy. And it was incredible to get promotion. Like in that season, to be fair, before I arrived, Kevin and Chris, Chris Waddle had scored a few goals before that. But over the season, the three of us between us, we scored 65 league goals. So it was just incredible. And, and big-headed it sounds, we played Brighton on the last day of the season and we won 3-1 and, and all three of us scored. And I scored with five minutes to go over Joe Colligan, who's the tallest man <laughs> in the world. <laughs> it's funny because, it's quite funny, we have a young lad in our academy stroke reserves that we've promoted now, who will try things that I tried. And it was funny because, by coincidence, on Newcastle.com, sort of YouTube of goals from certain games on the day it happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good so idea. last year, we were in Hong Kong, basically going on a seven-a-side tournament, and he was one of the lads. And he tried a chip from the D, the D as we call it, on the edge of the box. I was saying, well, come on, Dan, nobody can do that. He went, you can. And it was like, wow. And I never thought anything about it. And he said, I've seen it on YouTube. He said, you can do it, and if you can do it, well, I can do it. And I said to him, well, the difference is you're on AstroTurf. I was almost playing down what I'd done. He said, but that goalie was really big. I said, well, yeah, it's a fair point, but... It's brilliant that, like, people say, do you get bored about talking about football? There's always something special to talk about. Well, you you reminded me that, I was going to say, you said that because the Hartlepool players around you weren't operating on quite the same clock as you in terms of where the ball might be, where it should be, where they should be. You said, I I didn't look all out. And I know there'll have been somebody, maybe a clutch of people in them crowds at Hartlepool going, look at that diamond of a play. Everybody else is out of step apart from them. That's what they should be doing. And there'll be some kid, maybe they never got the professional football, they'll, they'll be going, that Peter Page, that's, that's how they... And you'll have inspired this kid yeah, yeah. who's trying to chip people. There'll be people in that article crowd who understood exactly that it was the other ten who were wrong and it was you who were right. I think and they'll the go and one. play their brand of football, whether it's in the school or whether it's in the civil service or whatever, they'll go and play their football your way. I think you're being really careful. I think no, no, maybe no, no, the no. only one... Might have been Sandra, my missus. <laughs> How'd she, she play? Knew How's her, yeah, she how's her knew touch? Her touch yeah, good? She understands. <laughs> she understands where the ball should go. You said it was perfect, but it, it wasn't kind of... T- their ending was perfect, and that season was perfect. It wasn't quite perfect because Kevin found out that no, his legs had gone, but you drew Liverpool in the cup. Yeah. And he kind of... I suppose if... Maybe it was a good way. If you're going to realise that it's the time to go, do you want to realise away at Brentford... Do you want to yeah, yeah, realise that in, your, in the cathedral to your own achievements yeah. as Kevin did no, it? No, absolutely. What was it? It was a cup? cup yeah, game? it was the FA Cup. It was one of the first Friday night BBC games. We stayed at the Haydock Thistle. Our pre-match sort of training was Haydock Racecourse getting over the hurdles. Arthur Cox had us getting over the hurdles. The racecourse. You're not selling that to Eric Orr after you, are you? No, no, I'm telling you the truth. We had to, basically. <laughs> that was our warm-up on the Friday morning. Basically, some of us had to get over the hurdles. It was almost like a test. I'd be Well, it was a fun it's, test. It's like... No, no, absolutely. It's like nothing, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way. It's just like... Were you blinkered? Uh, well, to be fair, I wish I had a been. I wish I had a been. It's, uh, the only other time it ever happened, Graham, and it obviously relates to Liverpool... We used to go to Aintree. Yeah. So, depending on Liverpool, Everton, one of us on the national day, obviously we'll play at home, 11.15 in the morning. Yeah. And we actually played Sheffield Wednesday at home and we won 5-1 at Anfield and then we went to races. Alan Hansen and John Barnes, believe it or not, started on the, the starting line 
And the, the bet was the first one that could get over the first hurdle at the entry. And they came back with scratches. <laughs> it was incredible. With jockey, as we call them, was just like, wow. It was just unbelievable. They obviously had one beer too many or one glass of wine too. But had to win. Absolutely. They wouldn't let it go. And honestly, when they came back, uh, we all had suits on. And wow. <laughs> it was like they'd been beat up. It was like so funny. But like, that's the way football was. Silly you'd, things, but funny things. You'd almost say maybe better off the pitch then and oh yeah well maybe I think maybe sometimes better on the pitch now I don't know yeah I think no I think when you look at it obviously it's horses for courses in terms of different times different ideas you know you look at a lot of funny things that I think are funny yeah. get lost in translation now through no fault of anybody's what a Jack Callback might do here or a Stephen Taylor you know to me maybe the funniest thing in the world but mm. to a foreign player it might mean nothing you know yeah. so it was different where we were all sort of British if you like in the main yeah. You know, when Kevin brought Ginola, Spurla, uh, Albert, they very quickly caught on to the English culture and, and they were brilliant. They really were that part of that entertainment. They were just incredible people that wanted to have a laugh. And it was just incredible. Tino was just the funniest man in the world. He really was, you know. You, loved him. Your face is crinkled up in humour even oh, saying yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Some of the things he'd come out with. Tell uh, me. Well, just unbelievable, like, incredible things that you just... He would come out on a morning and he would be, like you were saying earlier about Messi, just fiddling with the ball, just try and bend the ball so he'd be on the right wing and be trying to bend the ball into the roof of the net and all that. Kevin Keegan would come out and like most of the other players would stop out of respect for Kevin and Tino would still be fiddling with the ball. And by this time, there's probably 15 balls all over the place. And Kevin said, when are you going to stop? He said, well, I have to practice, I have to get better. Kevin said, yeah, but we're ready to start. He said, well, yeah, but in a minute I'll get one and you'll say, very good, Tino. <laughs> and I like it when you say very good. And it's just like, it's just brilliant. We had an incident, game, and, and you'll know, Kevin used to speak to Tino in Spanish. Mm. Colombian used to speak to him in Spanish. So anyway, we're playing Blackburn at home in the FA Cup, and we're 1-0 down half time, and Kevin's come in and he's fuming. And by this stage... I'm not the target. He's moved <laughs> off me. So, but he's talking to Tino in Spanish. This is from Kevin yeah. having lived in Marbella yeah, yeah, for absolutely. so long. Yeah, yeah, lived yeah, in, yeah That's yeah. why I'm called Pedro. I was going to so, ask you that. So I have Pedro on my number plate now. So I have P-A-D-R-O. Because like, Kevin told me when the piece came out a long time ago, now everybody thinks I paid a lot of money for it. I just paid whatever you paid to have a number plate on. But anyway, so I've got Pedro on my number plate, but I've got P-8. But Kevin told me to get P-3-D-R-O. But I said to Kevin, I went number eight. So it works out even more perfect. But anyway, getting back to Tino, like, so we're playing in the FA Cup, we're playing Blackburn at home. We're one nil down, and Kevin's lost it, but in Spanish. So we ain't got a clue what he's saying. <laughs> and there's a little space, so where I'm sitting now, there's another space there, but the showers and the baths are basically in between. So Kevin's standing here, Teddy would be standing on his right as we look. So there's no space between them. And there's nowhere to go. So anyway, he's hammering Tino. And Tino all of a sudden starts taking his kid off. And we're thinking, wow, that's strange. So we haven't got a clue what's kept Whatever he's saying isn't yeah, going yeah, right, absolutely. is it? Absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, he now walks between Kevin and Terry Mack. Got no gear on, got a towel. And his ghost starts running the bath. And Kevin's still trying to talk to us. And Kevin's fuming. Wow. And basically, he's looking at us and he's trying to talk to us. But you can hear Tino running the bass, singing, whistling. Honestly, <laughs> and as a player, we are absolutely wetting ourselves, thinking, wow, this is so funny. But like Kevin's trying to keep a straight face. And, and every now and then he would look along the corridor thinking, 
all sorts. Anyway, we go and play the game. We end up winning 2-1. And so we come in at the end and uh, Rob Lee, obviously thinking he was clever, said to me, and I was the captain at the time, he said, Pedro, have a word with KK. He said, uh, tell him well done, great idea to take Tino off, but why? You know. So anyway, me thinking I'm clever, I said to the gaffer, in front of everybody, I said, gaffer, Rob Lee wants to know. I said, <laughs> obviously, good idea to take Tino off, but what happened? He said, to, he said uh, I told him, obviously in Spanish, you've got two minutes to get your finger out, otherwise you're coming off. He left, I don't know how you get rid of this, but he said, you know, I said, fuck you, I'm coming off now. And it's just unbelievable. <laughs> that was and it. that's just the way he was, just mad. But nice mad. You know, I loved him. Every day, he used to teach you something different with the ball and a skill that you'd never seen before. Just incredible. Really. You see, you, you started, to, to my way of thinking, you started us talking about the comparison. Right now, incidents like that, there would have been a story then, but now they can be, uh, they, if they're taken, it'll be like, that's the end of the relationship. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, this happens every week, every month, and there's breakdowns and it gets back together and whatever. And while David Moyes was still in Spain, I put Real Sociedad, yeah. I was on the phone to him and chatting about this and that, and, and he had a result that had gone well. He, I think he won away at Granada or whatever. And Archie Knox was out to visit him. And Archie was there just for his own enjoyment and to watch and to learn and whatever. So it's only a couple of months, a few months ago now. And David said, what a tonic Archie's been. It's great to have him here. He can't tell stories to the other players, but he's been telling stories to me and Billy McKinley just to lighten up. He was telling this story about Aberdeen, Alec Ferguson's in charge, and Archie's his number two, and Mark McGee's not having it. Mark McGee, who played at Newcastle, yeah, yeah, too, yeah. he's not having the greatest of game. So Fergie says to Archie, Archie, Get dug into him, get dug into him, get a reaction for the second half. So Archie's gone, McGee, you're not just the worst player at this club, you're not just the worst <laughs> player in Scotland, you're the worst player in, in Britain. You're the <laughs> worst player in Britain. <laughs> Dingus isn't a, a Faustino spray, a whistling and saying, he's going, right, fuck you then in that case. <laughs> Half time straight to the showers, I'm all fucking playing in that case. And he's washing himself and Alec goes, Archie, Archie, what have you done? Hey, get him. Dressed and back out there for the second half. So Archie's now got to go into the showers, <laughs> make the piece of Diggers, get him dressed, kitted, and back out again. Of course, I'm sure I was at the game at the time. You never know these things going. And with a little bit of the temperatures going down, they become funny. In a, in a competitive environment, there's always going to be no, these no, things. I have to be honest, Graham. You remember Tino Asprilla saying for Newcastle in the snow. He's in a grey overcoat. Yeah, yeah. dressed a bit Flanagan and Allen a little yeah, bit. Yeah, 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 absolutely, long coat. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so anyway, he comes on the Tuesday, signs, but it has to go back for work permit. So we're at Middlesbrough on the Saturday, so we go overnight, stay at the hotel, Redworth Hall, and I don't go around for pre-match, never went down for pre-match. I used to go there for breakfast, have bacon and eggs, orange juice, go back to bed. Watch swap shop in them days. So go back, anyway. So I never went down for pre-match, so I get on the bus, and we'd never met Tino when he came over on the Tuesday. No, no. So there's this black lad sitting beside Kevin Keegan. And I haven't got a clue who it is. Yeah. Genuinely. So I just acknowledged him, how are you doing? And went past, went and sat in my seat. And KK said, uh, Pedro, Pedro, here, yeah, come here. He said, uh, this is uh, Faustino Asprilla. I said, really? And he couldn't understand what he was saying. So anyway, I said, really? He said, yeah. And I'd only seen pictures of him on TV. So I said, what's he doing here? He said he arrived in this morning, the work permits arrived, I'm going to put him on the bench. He said, I might even put him on. He's only had one glass of wine. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> he went, well, in Italy, you'll know, Graham, in yeah. Italy they have wine with the meal. They can do, yeah. So he actually had had a glass of red wine. I went, really? 
I said, well, as long as you didn't come on for me, I don't care. I, I honestly did, honestly, 100%. So anyway, go in the dressing room, names the team, put some soap. We're getting ready, and KK comes over again. He said, if need be, I'm going to put him on. I said, I don't care, Gaffer. As long as I don't come off, I don't care. Anyway, so we're one nil down half time, And sure enough, you know, getting ready, getting ready, getting ready. Kevin said, give us five minutes, give us five minutes. So we're now out there. And we're one nil down, 20 minutes to go. And Tino comes running on. And he comes running on, Graham. He comes running over and he goes... So he's trying to point to his eyes, point to my eyes. And, wow, what is he on about? <laughs> so he comes on, uh, and basically I'm thinking, I can't help you, Tino. And I went, good luck, and I ran off. <laughs> Not in a horrible way, I just ran. Couldn't help him. But he was incredible. He was absolutely incredible. He made both goals. We, we won 2-1. Turned it around, yeah. And so we go in the dressing room after the game, and he's got an interpreter with him. And so the interpreter brought him over and said, do you know what he was doing when he was going like this, like backwards and forwards, eyes to eyes? I said, I actually said to the interpreter, who was a jewelry lad, and he said, well, what he was trying to say was, I've been watching, me and you can we play know together. We, yeah. <laughs> wow. And I just thought, wow, that's incredible. And, and to be fair, got on with him like a house on nice fire. Nice compliment. Absolutely. I was gobsmacked, but what a super star. I don't know how to break it, but it was this, because that was pretty volatile times. During these times, oh, yeah, absolutely. Kevin's had a famous had a pop yeah, yeah. Fergie. Yeah, yeah. Twice. Absolutely. I think it merits, for those who are not Newcastle fans, in Mertzing, twice you finished second. Yeah, yeah. The first time by a very narrow margin. Oh, no, we blew it. The, first um, the player's blew. player of the year in one instance has been Les Ferdinand yeah, Newcastle. Yeah. The player's that player of the year the second time has been Alan Shearer yeah, Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. You um, didn't win the league at the time, but first enough for some reason, there was this urban myth came up that it was partly to do with. Yeah. Why did that come up? And, and I think, if I'm being honest, Jim, 100% it was because he was the last player in the building. Simple as that, eh? Yeah. Obviously, he was a January signing then, as in, obviously, deadline, yep. whatever you want to call it. He was the last one in. And I honestly think, but he was a superstar. Some of the things he did, remember him scoring a goal against West Ham at St. James, we won 3-0, and he scored this goal at, like, Les Seely, God rest his soul, was in goal at the time. And he dinks this ball from the corner of the 18-yard box, and it must go, like, what seems like 50 yards high and comes down and drops in the net. Mm-hmm. And it was just like slow motion. And he just did some incredible things, you know. But he just sadly got the blame. And that was totally unjust, 100% unjust. He wasn't to blame. We blew it. We were 12 points clear. As a group of players, whether you call it individual mistakes, whatever you want to call it, we blew it. Do you, do you, do you know analytically? Does that... I mean, you, you've been a big winner across your career. So maybe the thorn in the side is a little bit less. But it's your hometown club. Yeah, you yeah. were ahead... You'll have an idea about, as a group, what went wrong, I guess. Yeah, well, I think just basically we didn't change. And I don't blame Kevin for that. In terms of the style of play, whether we were 3-0 or 1-0, we always played the same way, so we were always in a position where we could concede goals, you know, but it was the way Kevin believed. Mm. And I was fully behind him, and I will never, ever say any different. I will never say it was the wrong thing, because I honestly believe it wasn't the wrong thing, because them two, three years in terms of style of football, what they enjoyed watching, they might never see that again. And that's no. not being disrespectful. That is a fact of life. Because of the way football is now, you know, it is a business now. There's no doubt about it. It's about survival in some cases where, to be fair to the new manager, he wants us to play like the entertainers played. And hopefully, if he gets his wish, we will do. And obviously, once we get up the league, win a few more games, then we'll see it even more. But, you know, it is an incredible thing that we had at that time. For me... As a Newcastle kid, you know, even though they won the first cup, I'd never been able to watch football like that. 
No. But to actually play and be part of that was just incredible. Was there an exuberance, a euphoria around the city? That- oh, without a doubt. Yeah, 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 it was incredible, you know. At 12 points, I have to say, they all thought we'd won the league, yeah. 100%. And I don't blame them for that. I can't say that I ever thought that, but it does go through your mind, like, 12 points, yeah, we can't blow this, we can't blow it. And it almost works the other way, as in, where all of a sudden we're nine, and then we're six, and then we're three. And, and to be fair to Man U, they did incredible. They had an unbelievable run where Smiley was keeping clean sheets, Canton was scoring winning goals. It really was an incredible thing. But we've talked about entry and Haydock, and there is a comparison because when you've been the course... Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're like, ah, oh, I know this is going to hurt. Oh, now. yeah, absolutely. This is, and I may not get over this. My belly might get scraped over this big, horrible fence, but I'm going to go over it. Oh, and when it comes to the line, and if I'm not a metre ahead, I'm still going to get there. And it, it, you accumulate no, it, that and knowledge. The, and the sad thing is it went right down to the last game. Yeah. On the last Sunday, you know, Middlesbrough... Obviously, had to beat Man United, but obviously, Man United had to beat Middlesbrough, which, and no way is it Middlesbrough's fault. They just got beat on the day. You know, Man United would just basically did what they had to do. And to be fair, they were just so clever at doing that. To be fair to them, they had such great attacking players, you know, with obviously gigs and obviously people like Cantona that were just special. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and fair play to them, you know. I never feel offended, upset about it. It was just one of them things. Well, not that special, I'll claim. Because it recently has emerged that Sir Alex wanted you, not him. Did you learn about this just recently, like the rest of us, or did you know at the time? Because the clarity is, he said, that absolutely for sure, the fluke of Cantona coming along, which was known, that leads, as soon as they were asking for Dennis Irwin and Alec went, or Alex's secretary went, you know, we'll have Cantona off you, and they were like, yeah. His target was you. He wanted to yeah, sign I, Peter Beardsley. I was unaware of it, genuinely. Mm. I, I have read it since in his book. I have read the fact that he did want me, but I wasn't aware of it, genuinely. I did not have a clue. I really did not have a clue because even though I'd had an experience of six months there, as you know, Graham, with Man United, for me, the biggest club. I have no qualms about saying that now, even as a Newcastle coach, player, whatever you want to call it. It was incredible. When I went there for those six months, it was incredible, I have to say. And, and they weren't at their best at that time. No. But as a club... Everything they did, for me, in those six months, was like a class act. And they were incredible. Actors. Is that something that you've grown up with and you've assimilated by hearing the legends and seeing yeah, stuff absolutely. on TV? Or is it something different? No, is it about I think the... when I look at the way they were with me and Sandra, obviously we had no kids at the time, the way they treated us, you know, Ray Wilkins was vice-captain then, Brian Robson took over the captaincy, but Ray Wilkins treated me like a king, really couldn't have been nicer to me. The way they looked after Sandra and I for the six months, it really was like just class. Everything about it, the club, players, staff, people within the club, it really was amazing, I have to say. It was an incredible six months considering I only played one game. Oh. If I had my life over again, I'd done the same. Even though it didn't work out, That's right. I 100% would have done the same. And I'm quite certain that given what you did and achieved, and you've probably got no regrets, but it, it is an oddity that the greatest club manager ever said that's the guy who can make everything tick, that can unlock things for us, that can be that creative central when footballer. I've seen it since. I have definitely seen it in his book. We have so many football books in our house that I have definitely seen it. And obviously we just bought his new one in the last three months, whatever it was. Him saying that was just incredible because he, he was unbelievable, wasn't he? When you look at what he bought and what he produced and when I look at schools, who's one of my all-time favourites, I have to say. There's a definite similarity yeah, in well, how you both saw the I game. I was really lucky... Graham, I worked with Paul Scores, and I say it worked loosely. I was part of Kevin Keegan's 2,000 mm. euro squad in terms mm. of coach, whatever. But 
if I'm being totally honest, I was there more as a friend. And I'm not negative about that, not at all. You know, the players treat me as a coach and they were brilliant to me, no complaint at all. But Kevin Keegan said to me this afternoon, because we were at Spa at the time, and when you look at technology now, you know, 15, 16 years ago, there wasn't what there is now. So no. there was a lot of boredom. Through no fault of anybody, there was yeah. a lot of boredom. So Kevin said to me, get five or six players, we'll go and do a bit of shooting and whatever. And we went down, and, and at the time there was uh, Nigel Martin and David Seaman. He said, get the keepers and get Beckham and get Alan Shearer and obviously uh, Scolzi and Emil Heskey. And basically, we'll go and have a shooting session. So the drill was, so the D on the 18-yard box, you either could hit a dead ball from the D or you could touch it into the D and bend it. You know, you had two touches, basically, or yeah. you could hit a dead ball. Yeah. And to be fair to David Beckham, most of the time he would hit a dead ball. So they would be doing it in a sequence of 10, so scores would have 10 shots, Alan Shearer 10, Beckham 10, then they have another 10. And they were having 50 each. And Scolzi scored 49 out of 50 and hit the post with the other. Oh, wow. no. Honestly, I've never seen anything like it in my life and probably never will again. It was incredible. And just loved the kid. And to be fair, Graham, what a pro in terms of train, go to bed. Train, go to bed. Train, eat, go to bed. Honestly, he was just obsessed with it. And I have to say, I listen to him now on obviously BT and that, and he's doing really well, but what a great kid. He just absolutely loved football. There's something wrong, though, that in general, this country, your national team, it never broke my heart as a Scot, but as a football fan it did, you know, beyond nationalities. He was never really used no, no. properly. No, no, I 100% agree with you. That says something bigger than just Paul Scholes' career, because... How can a talent like that be there and, and not be fully utilised? No, no, it's... I'm 100% with you. I really am 100%. Uh, he never, ever, in my time, played in his right foot position. You know, for me, build a team around him. You, you, yeah. you start with him. You play you? where you want to play. Yeah. And you tell me where you want to play and we'll put the rest in around you. Does that say something about our, our characteristics? Yeah, or... I, think, I think it's almost... Do you understand like, it? Yeah, absolutely. No, I don't understand it, no. I no, don't I understand don't. it. You know, when I look... Graham Taylor came to take over as England manager and he ended up playing Brian Robson on the left wing in one of the games, you know, what? played him wide left, not as a winger, obviously, but in no. a 4-4-2. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, in one of his last games. and Seriously, you know, your best players are your best players. No matter what team you are, your best players are your best players. I don't know if it's Shanks, but I remember it as a Liverpool saying that football's a simple game that we, absolutely. That we complicate. Absolutely, we complicate, absolutely. <laughs> it definitely was. There's a decent... No, no. I, I can't let you go without two things. I need to celebrate the fact that you became a serial champion playing genius football in two different styles at Liverpool. But there are a couple of questions. People, we asked, we've got a lot of followers, there's been 1.7 million people have listened to this. Absolutely. And people sent in questions, and when we said it was you, they just went absolutely mad. So these are slightly more quick-fire, is the idea. This is from Rob at um, Percy Headley, and Les and Michael and Peter and Alan. They've ganged together, it's a brains trust, just to say... Which would you change if you could? The World Cup semi-defeat, which is 90, or not winning the Premiership with Newcastle? You can only pick one. You can change it, but you no, can only pick there, one. There is no doubt losing the Premiership with Newcastle. Mm-hmm. 100%. Not even, not even a, an issue. It never was, never will be. Love playing for England. Wouldn't swap a day of that. But to win the league with Newcastle would have been like the best ever. <laughs> This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Now, these same lads agree with Martin and I that there's some sort of strange blood or DNA relationship between you and Leo Messi because you're very, very similar, <laughs> particularly in your finishing and balance and just that way to show somebody one way or what's the all-time best goal that you scored? And these fellas are asking that because they're showing their young staff at work a video on YouTube comparing you and Messi. Yeah, my most enjoyable would have been for Newcastle at Portsmouth. Kevin gave me a hospital ball, as we call it, and I just managed to nick in in front of the goalkeeper and then went round him, and now I'm running across the lane and I'm basically the width of these chairs away from the goal line. And Terry McDermott is on the 18-yard line shouting, put it in, Pedro, put it in. And the left-back, Sullivan or O'Sullivan, left-back at Portsmouth, comes running across and he's about to tackle me. And my mind told me, not bothered, because if the worst comes to the worst, he's going to score an own goal. So I waited and waited and waited, and I can hear Terry Mack shouting, put it in, Pedro, put it in. And the funniest thing of all, Graham, was, which I'll explain in a minute, was like, so he goes flying past me on a muddy pitch at Fratton Park, and then eventually I tap it in. But this happened in the 45th minute of the game. So we're 1-0 up at halftime in Arthur Cox's mind. And the reason I say that is, Arthur Cox, in them days, there was no electronic scoreboard to say one minute, three minutes work. Arthur Cox used to always go down the tunnel at 44 minutes. 
a bit like Mourinho has done recently, whatever. Anyway, I don't know why. Or don't. Anyway, so he would go down, get himself ready, and as soon as we went in the dressing room, he would either go mad or be really positive. So anyway, we go in the dressing room, and he hasn't seen me go. So we're 1-0 up when he goes down the tunnel, but when we go in, we're 2-0 up. And we go in, and he's like, he's going, come on, lads, it's a bloody disgrace, you know, only beating these 1-0. And to be fair to tell him, he went, Arthur, Arthur, Pedro's just scored a wonder goal, it's 2-0. And Arthur very quickly went, we're playing well now, aren't we? <laughs> and it was just unbelievable how from 1-0 to 2-0, having not seen the goal, just the change in the tone was just incredible. I'm going to bear my backside here because that wasn't the game at Fratton Park where Chrissy Wardle scores an absolute no, wonder goal on a, on no, a song no, of a pitch. i tell you, that would have been St James's Park against Portsmouth. Was it? With it? When he scored from 25 yards, he scored two 25-yarders on the day. Whose pass was it from? One of them was mine. But he, I thought yeah, that. Yeah, one of them was mine, but it was a simple pass. It wasn't okay, a difficult pass. Oh, yeah, Honestly, yeah. I'm quite proud of that. And, yeah, and he actually banged this goal in. To be honest, it was my second home game for Newcastle, and Alan Bailey was playing for Portsmouth at the time. Bailey's boots. Yeah. Hello, Peter Jensen, yeah. Bailey's boots. Yeah, and he... So, Alan Bailey scored for them. But anyway, we won 4-2 at home. And Waddle had scored two unbelievable 25 yards. They were incredible. Yeah. And Arthur Cox took them off. And so we go in the dressing room at the end of the game and, I, and he said to Waddle, do you know why I took you off? And Waddle went, no. He said, because you didn't want to score a hat-trick. Not many people get the chance to score a hat-trick for this club, son. And you've just let a chance pass you by. And I was gobsmacked, honestly. And then the next home game we played was Man City at home and I scored a hat-trick. And it's quite ironic, really, how like Arthur was like praising me to the hilt about like nobody gets a chance to score a hat trick for Newcastle many times, and and we beat Man City five 0 at home, and it was like it was me, my first home goal, and I scored three on the day, and it was just like. There's more questions. There's been a recurrent theme through this interview when you've talked about like there must be times when you feel that you're anointed, that somebody's just shifting the plates of life into your path because so many things it happens that's beyond talent. Not well. It's nice that you say that. But, no, but it's like a combination I, I yeah, of circumstances. No, I, it's really nice because obviously people are really nice to me, but I get embarrassed because I, I only do what I was doing. I loved what I did. I never ever thought at the end of the game, we've won and we've earned a bonus or we've won and that's great. I just thought, what a great day that was. You know, I never ever thought like we have to win or we have to lose. or whatever. I just love being on the field and trying to entertain. You know, It's amazing how many people, and it sounds really big at it, how many people come up to me and say, like, the pleasure I had watching you. If you switch that round and think what pleasure it was watching, what the pleasure must have been to actually do it, you just can't, you can't put it in the words. That makes sense. Yeah. But like sitting incredible. in our seats. Yeah. Well, I say you to can't people, do that. You, yeah. you can go in your head, you can follow up Peter Beards that I just told you to do, and you can think, and you can think about his best day, Martin's best day at football, or my best day at whatever, and you remember the buzz. I remember something from... A school hockey game in 40 years ago. But we can't imagine that. That, that well, sounds to us like a brim full of emotions that we've probably never even seen. Well, I like, obviously, lives. I go shopping and people stop and talk to me, and, and everybody's yeah. really nice, and I, obviously, I wouldn't change a thing. People will see you talking to these people for 10, 15 minutes because I never walk away from anybody. That's just the way I am. It doesn't mean I'm right, but anyway. And people, the next person I see, say, that must really annoy you. Wow, you're kidding. Lights up my day every day mm. because money can't buy that. You know, the memories they're talking about because nobody ever says, and I really mean this, nobody ever says, wow, what a nightmare you blew the league. They say, what about that goal you scored at Portsmouth or that goal against Brighton or 
the goal for England when you were on the touchline and you should have crossed and you shot and unbelievable. That's why we're here. That's why both of us were excited coming here because it's it's quite a privilege to take your the memories we've got encapsulated of your play and then break them down and open them up. It's like an X-ray of our memories. Yeah, is what this has been. Well, I, we have a sports scientist, a lad called Simon Twedler, who's a superstar. He's like one of the best you'll ever see. But anyway, he comes to me every day and like he would say to me like, I wasn't happy this morning because I'll say something to a player. And they just don't get it. And I don't mean that in a nasty way. They just, mm. It doesn't register. And he said, they just don't know what they're listening to. Mm. They just don't get it. They, they, they just don't understand. And it really frustrates him. I don't even think about it. Because at the end of the day, you, you say what you think's right. And whether they can take it in or not is obviously a different thing. One of the things I've learned in, in writing and talking about football is the number of footballers of all ages, even footballers of 22, 23, not just footballers, once they finish saying... Took me two years for that, to, but the words aren't lost. The, yeah. In the majority of cases, the words aren't bouncing off and falling in the ground and dead. Sometimes they'll go straight in. Yeah. Sometimes they'll take a few days. Sometimes the benefit is two years later. Yeah. I, you must know that. I know. I've heard people say one of the best things I ever learned was Teddy Venables when he yeah. first came in to take over England. And two things, he set me right up, but I didn't know at the time. So he rang Kevin Keegan. I'd just come back to Newcastle, so in '93. And Teddy was just about to take over and there. He rang Kevin Keegan, and I didn't know this at the time, but he rang Kevin Keegan and he said, I'm going to put him in my first squad. So Teddy Venable said, I'm going to put him in my first squad. Kevin Keegan obviously knew this, Terry McDermott knew this. Mm. And my career was over with England, I was finished. Graham Taylor, I'd, not in a horrible way, I'd got rid of me. I, I'm no problem with that, I, I, honestly, I'm not annoyed or whatever. You and so, Gary. Me, yeah, so my England career was finished. But 94, obviously, Terry Venable takes over. I've obviously not been back in Newcastle long. And Kevin Keegan said, to me one day, he called me in and he said, uh, I think you can get back in the England squad. <laughs> Shut up. But unbeknown to me, Graham, they knew. It was already done. And they said to me, him and Terry Mack, so they're both in the office together, Kevin says, I'll have a £100 bet you'll get back in the England squad. <laughs> so obviously, £100 to play for England, happy days. And so when he says that, Terry Mack says, I'll have some of that as well. <laughs> so now I'm thinking, nah, they're winding me up here. But I didn't, genuinely didn't think, nah. Think but like. I thought £200... Nothing in the scheme of things. But Terry Venables had already told them he was going to put me in the next squad a month later. And, wow, they set me right up. They gave me my money back. There's a life lesson there, yeah. though. like the things to bet on. Don't bet, kids. Yeah. Things to bet on are things where you know the result already. That's and the it, safest way But the thing was, when I first met Terry Venables, and the whole squad, for the first time, he actually said, I will tell you what I want you to do, and if you don't understand, come and ask me, and I will explain. But if you don't understand and you don't come and ask me, and you can't do what I'm asking you to do, you won't be coming again. And it was just as simple as that. Charismatic man. Oh, I loved him. Me too. Loved him. He would be as good as I had. Genuinely as good as I had. Yeah. He left me out of Euro 96, but I got no qualms whatsoever. He took Nicky Barmby and said, but 100%, it was the right thing. Gave the country something pretty yeah. special. No, no, that was amazing. Heck of a yeah. tournament. I was almost hiding behind my pillow when, obviously, the penalties, mm. when they went out. But yeah, no, a special man. I have to say, no, a lot of time for him. So... Kenny Douglas said that um, when Peter was signed, he had a reputation as a football anorak and couldn't be beaten in any quiz. I'd like to know if Peter was influenced in the style of play by anything in particular that he read about, and if so, what it was. Anything well, influenced I'll tell you what influenced me, Kenny Douglas. Growing up, he was my hero. Wow, when he rang me and said, I'd like to sign you for Liverpool, wow. I thought he was winding me up. A bit like the Arthur Cox thing, but mm. not as obvious. And, and to be fair to him, when I went to meet the people at Liverpool, I had no agent and didn't want an agent, but Sandra and I met him at Powerball 
went to a hotel. It was all quiet at the time. Newcastle knew, obviously, there was no nothing behind anybody's back. But Newcastle gave me permission, went to see him at Powerball and drove into the hotel. And there was a press man there. And I don't know who the press man was, but that was very unusual in them days. And Kenny said, we might as well just go to Anfield. So I went to Anfield and I met him. And then I had to go in and meet Peter Robinson mm-hmm. and uh, John Smith, who was the chairman at the time. He actually told me what to say. So I'm going in to meet them and ask for whatever. And obviously he knew I was on £1,200 a week in Newcastle, so I went in to see them. And he said to me, he said, what you need to say is that you're going to replace the manager. You are going to be the new number seven, because it was 1 to 11 then. It's not like any number as it is now. Yeah. He said, you're going to be our new number seven, and you're going to be even better than I was. And this is what he told me to say, and I'm saying, wow. So I walked in this room, Graham, and Sandra was in another room. Kenny was in another room. I walked in this room and I was absolutely crapping myself. So I'm now sat on chairs like you and I are. John Smith and Peter Robinson, they're sitting in the same chairs on the other side of the table. I felt like I was sitting on the floor. I was terrified. And after I started talking, they, not in a horrible way, they were like, we know that. He's already told us. You don't need a confidence. And, and it was like the two of them, obviously them two, and him before made it so easy. And he treated me like a king, I have to say and I'll be honest, Graham, for the first six months, I was horrific. We went 29 games unbeaten, genuinely, 29 games unbeaten, and I was horrific. We played Blackburn in the Capital One Cup, as it is now, and I was horrendous. And in the Daily Star, the next day, and I was poor, got no problem with that, the headline was Peter the Plonker, and that will live with me forever. The good thing was I had no kids, so it didn't matter. It wasn't like the end of the world. But I was called Peter the Plonker by whoever did the art, I couldn't tell you. It's not right. But Kenny was unbelievable and I was with John Barnes and, and John Barnes so was it was John's best. first season as well wasn't it yeah yeah absolutely yeah. yeah John had signed a month earlier from Watford but John was the best player I ever played with bar none 100% bar none and for that first two years until he got an Achilles injury was the best player by miles and he was incredible and he made it so easy for me I roomed with him we lived together almost and it was just like unbelievable it really was an incredible time and I was poor I genuinely was poor you know do you know what was going on? I don't. I don't know whether it was living in a hotel. Yeah. Because we lived in a hotel for six months. It's unsettling. Yeah. We, we actually bought Billy Bingham's house. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The former Ireland manager, manager yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was funny because his wife was brilliant. She was very fair and he was trying to rip us off. And she was like, <laughs> don't worry, we'll sort it out. And, and it was brilliant. Like, but he was a lovely man. And uh, we moved into his house and we were two doors from Kenny. And when I went to buy the house, I went to see Kenny and I said... Is it all right if I move in two doors from you? He said, if you can cope with me being the manager, because I can do what I want. You're a player, you can't do what you want. He said, if you can cope with that, you can move there. And to be fair to him, he was a different class. He never once told me I was poor, but I, I really was. By my own standards, I was poor. And when I look at Robbie Keane going and, and being claimed to be the same, and I don't mean that in a horrible way, I wrote to Robbie to say, like, you're not as bad as people say, and it'll come good, and... Just Andy to be Cal- supportive, just to give yeah, him a absolutely. little bit of belief. Absolutely, I've been there. <clears throat> I've been there, you know. Dean Saunders replaced me when I went to Everton. And I spoke to Dean and said, you know, don't worry, it'll come good or whatever, you know. And Andy Cowell, when Andy Cowell went there, we saw Andy Cowell. Mm-hmm. Spoke to Andy a few times, you know, it's never as bad as you think. But Kenny was amazing. What clicked for you? I scored on Boxing Day against Coventry at home and we won. Never looked back after that. I scored 17 goals in the second half of the season. Only scored one before that. And I scored 17 goals in the second half. And I couldn't tell you, I couldn't give you one de- decisive thing that changed. But it was just incredible how it changed. And, and then, to be fair, the, the Scouts were never bad to me. Never once did they, 
the one thing I always did, and as I said to Jackie Milburn when I first arrived at Newcastle, I'll run around. And that's the one thing I always did. And, and sometimes you can get away with having a bad day by running around. Not maybe as many as I did, but it was an incredible time. And, and I loved every minute of it, even though I was struggling. Was there so much talent around you that you were sort of subconsciously recalibrating what it was you had to do? Because without doubt, you're doing a different thing in a oh, little yeah, side full of talent than you have been in and unable, a, a, a good Newcastle side, but well, I mean, you were being asked to do something new. Yeah, and also, I went for officially 1.9 million, but it was officially, well, sorry, officially it was wrong, 1.9 million, but everybody said it was 2 million for all. And basically, Alan Hansen every day would say, you don't get much for 2 million nowadays, do you? But not in a nasty way, never nasty, but like almost Mickey taken. And was whatever. it worming yeah, that around possibly, in the head a yeah, little bit? Absolutely. I can't argue with that. It would have been. Yeah. You know, and I don't blame Alan, because if he. The next man in, I've said the same. You know, like football dressing rooms room. are meant to do Absolutely. that. I think. Yeah, and Alan was a master, and I mean that in a nice way. He was a superstar. He was a, a brilliant, brilliant captain. You know, he really was one of the best players I ever played with. I would only say no Willie Miller, but I'm with you apart yeah, from that. that I'm with you fair. apart from that's that. Yeah. But he, uh, Alan was different class to be. Yeah, he, a brilliant captain, brilliant leader. Looked as though he didn't love the game, but he just had an effortless. Sort of stride, could glide. He just he had everything, and he, he was a pleasure to be. Hell of a partnership, him and Lawrence. Yeah, him and Laurel, and then we bought Glenn Hussein. Yeah, big Glenn Hussein and Gary Gillespie. So, yeah, unfortunately, Laurel snapped his Achilles as I arrived mm-hmm. the first year. But Laurel, Bruce Grobel in particular, they really took me under the wing. I was really training. Brilliant, funny, Mickey taken. We had a we had a thing, and when you arrived, we should get trained at Anfield at the time. <laughs> Didn't have the facility at Melwood. But you used to arrive at uh, Anfield, get the bus down to Melwood. But what used to happen? So Ronnie Moran would come up the corridor at Anfield and he'd shout away. And basically then it was a rush to get on the bus. So the reserves were in one dressing room mm-hmm. and the first team were in the other. But if a reserve got in the bus before the first teamer and he was in a seat, he could stay in it. <laughs> Didn't have to get up. Like, so Alan Hansen had to stand if he couldn't be bothered to run on the bus. And it was just the way it was. There was no pecking order. It wasn't like, you're a superstar, I'm a kid. It was just... It's funny how little things can keep the competitive ah, edge going, eh? Ah, keep you on your toes. Honestly, because some people used to, like, didn't want to stand 15, 20 minutes in Melwood. They would be dashing out that door and they'd be fighting, getting out the door. And, uh, but it was just little things, but they were big things because they tested you. You know, we when we won the league my first season, having been horrendous, as I said to you, I scored the winning goal. We beat Tottenham 1-0 one, one at Anfield over Easter and we won the league with seven games to go and I scored the winning goal. And they said, like, Beardsley wins the league for Liverpool, mm. which was like, couldn't be further from the truth. Take but, it. But, the, yeah, you go in the dressing room at the end of the game and there's medals there. And basically, they don't give them out, they were in a box. And Ronnie Moran said, if you deserve one, get one. And I went to pick one up and he said, what are you doing? <laughs> and like, but in a nice way, at the time. That's not a nice way no, at all. Time, what are you doing? <laughs> said, you don't deserve one of them. And then we laugh about it at the end, but like, wow. Because obviously what he meant by that was, if you played your nine games... Yeah, and then James you had to play nine games. You had games. to qualify, didn't yeah. you? And he said, "If you deserve one, get one." And obviously, I was straight up, never won a medal before. What are you doing? To uh, so turn it on its head, then, when that's the mean humour when things are going well. What was it like in that dressing room when the penalties missed in a Wembley final against the all-time minnows in the DFA? Yeah, it's not one. What horrendous. Yeah, absolutely, because they were the underdogs. Who you says know. what? Who does? Yeah, what? Kenny. To be fair to him, was never really aggressive, but he just said, "We've let ourselves down, lads." You know, we should beat Wimbledon. We know that. And if we play them another 99 times in a cup final, we'll beat them. So we said, it's not the end of the world. 
we've had a brilliant season, we've won the league in, in sort of the middle of the season, as he said. You know, so he said, it's not the end of the world, we just go again. We go and to again. be fair, that's what Liverpool did. You know, mm. see you on pre-season, whatever day. When I first went there, we'd have pre-season games. My first pre-season game for Liverpool ever was Bayern Munich away, we lost 5-1. And I was devastated. <laughs> I genuinely was devastated. Nobody else was bothered. And I don't mean that in a horrible way. Ronnie Moran, only thing that matters is the first game at Highbury, which was our first league game. Nothing else matters. So the game was for rhythm, for fitness? Yeah, and... yeah basically getting ready. Everything was geared to getting ready for the first week in August. There would have been Liverpool fans travel, oh, yeah, though, would there? Absolutely, who, who... absolutely. Yeah, I was really surprised being on the outside previously and only just arrived. That's what I'm asking. That he actually said that. Yeah. Yeah, I was gobsmacked. But he said, you know, as long as you're ready for the first game of the season at Highbury. And we won 2 1 at Highbury. Stephen Nichols scored with a header from the edge of the box. We won 2 no, uh, 2 1. So John Oliver scored the other one. Coming after that, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> Here we go. Let's maybe finish with a, a small smile. This can't be too John Dixon. John Dixon, I attended the same high school as Peter. Long Benton High School? Absolutely, it's the right school. Quite a few years after he did, the rumour and urban myth that used to go around was that Peter didn't make the school football team. I always wondered if this was true. John? No, to be fair, I never made the county team. So the local county team, I was the pie man, Grim. So what used to happen, we used to play, so obviously you can't see where we are, but imagine you went out of this, you would drive past my house where I used to live, and then about a mile around the road, we used to play in a place called Forest Hall. So it was South Northumberland, and I wasn't good enough to make the first 11. So I used to, like, the county team, so I used to be, like, we used to have three subs in them days. So I used to be the pie man. So at half time, I'd go and get the pies. The pies were probably 500 yards each way to go and get the pies for the, for the players for the end of the game. And then if I was lucky, I might get on for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And I used to, it was good, though, because I used to have a couple of pies on the way back. And take me ball on the way, so it's all right. Fergie's got an expression for everything, and Fergie's got an expression for that, which is football, bloody hell. The second last one is Paul McGlone. He's got a YouTube link, which we can't show <clears throat> on audio, but explain the Beardsley Shuffle, it was called, where you could... Yeah, you I couldn't. Know. It sounds really stupid, Graham. I, I, I got embarrassed one day by Don Howe. Not intentionally. The Beardsley Shuffle now... I watch players do it, and I see players do it, and if you threw me a ball and say do it, couldn't do it. It's just something I did when the ball was in wherever position. It's just something I did. And people now, we have, in our academy, I know for a fact, they try and get kids to do it. But if you ask me now to demonstrate it, I couldn't. I, I 100% couldn't. But what happened was, Don House, was, he was with Teddy Venables, and we did, obviously, start off with a warm-up, and obviously you would do ball warm-ups. And he said, right, now we're going to do the Beardsley Shuffle. Come on, Peter, show us the Beardsley Shuffle. <laughs> One of the worst days of my life. And I don't mean that in a horrible way. I was impressed. I couldn't do it. Whenever I did it before, full motion, heat of the moment. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. Couldn't show you. Light bulbs going Even off in now, your head. And... If you said to me, show me the bills, couldn't show you. That's pretty amazing, huh? I really, honestly, and, and Don tried to get me to do it. And he thought I was taking the mickey. He actually thought I was just being selfish, whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to show you because you might know it and you'll use it. It wasn't none of that. I couldn't do it. Well, you, you'll, you'll think I'm at it because you've brought me... I said about Messi that there are things he does he couldn't explain. He couldn't show unless it's in that heat of the moment when there's no other way to do it than slalom past six. The last email in is from a nice chap in Barcelona, Graham by name, 
Graham Hunter. <laughs> Britain's favourite. <laughs> Britain's favourite. We can have you as an audience for I like, I like working with you. We can take this on stage. Britain's favourite comedy sketch ever is Morecambe and Wise. I don't know if you remember it. In the kitchen together, chopping yeah, up the yeah, grapefruits. Yeah, yeah. And it's the... Yeah, yeah. It's the da, 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 da. I take you back to playing for Fulham and moving in with the boss. Yes. Being a squatter. Unbelievable. In a flat above Harrods. Incredible. It's alleged that your duties were the cooking. Absolutely. I want to know, what did you cook? What was your speciality dish? And what does King Kevin like to eat over Thursday night? Baked beans on toast or what? I'll tell you what's the funniest of all, Graham. You, you know London very well, so you know where we are. Night, Knightsbridge. Yeah, nice. Unbelievable. Honestly, incredible. Obviously, Kevin was the manager. I was a player. Wasn't a coach, I was a player. Yeah. But I had the chance to live with him. So on a Monday morning, we would get the train from Newcastle. So I would get the six o'clock train. It would be 6.30 at Darlington. So he got on his Darlington. We arrived into London at 10 to 9, get the tube across London into the training ground. And then that was us for the rest of the week. So training ground, Harrods, training ground, Harrods. So anyway, what happened was, basically, he said, you're in charge of food, Pedro. So I could stay at the training ground all day and he would have meetings with Mr. Fayed and... But there would be times when, not bored, but I didn't need to be in the meeting or whatever, or I didn't think it was my place, so mm. I would go back. So you know where I am. I was walking along Cromwell Road to Sainsbury's, which is by the Marriott Hotel, 24 hours. On, the red, on yeah, the red yeah. line where the cars was yeah, by. It's right across absolutely. the Marriott. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm going there to get the food, right? So whatever it may be, um, you like the steak, so anyway. So obviously I'm doing that. And, and to be fair to him, a lot of times, Graham... It's almost a myth in the sense that we'd just go out. Because where we are in Harrods, you literally go anywhere and have a meal. And I don't mean that in a horrible way. So anyway, we're doing this. But anyway, he said to me one day, he said, Pedro, what's the story with the food? Where are you getting the food from? <laughs> I said, well, Sainsbury's that we drive past to on the training ground, on the training ground run, on the right, you know, about a mile up the road. You're kidding me. I said, well, not in a horrible way. Where the fuck am I supposed to get the food? <laughs> so, anyway, so anyway, he said... I've got a Harrods card. <laughs> so like, wow, you're telling me, I've been there three months, walking up and down this road. I've got a Harrods card. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Not with two shopping bags and a no, ball. To be fair, I didn't have a ball. <laughs> I did have the bags. That was, when, that was when they give you bags for free. Yeah. But uh, no. You could have so, had caviar on toast every so, night. And... So to be fair, Graham, every Friday, if we were at home, Sandra would bring my two kids down. So my two kids at the time, Graham, were probably eight and four or nine and five. So what she used to do, so my kids went to school in Jasmine in Newcastle. As soon as they come out of school, she used to go across Newcastle, get onto the train and come down. For that weekend, we would live in the same flat as Kevin Keegan. And he would be doing tricks with my kids. Stupid tricks like Tommy Cooper tricks and <laughs> honestly like wearing coats and like, like the old Tommy Cooper trip where you pull the coat and like the coat comes off and your shirt's still on and wow. Unbelievable. Honestly, did some unbelievable things and, and just treat them like kings, honestly. But on a Saturday morning, we used to go across to Harrods for my pre-match breakfast on Kevin's card. So <laughs> that was about the best thing I got of it. Cornflakes and quail's eggs. It, to be fair, yeah. No, uh, Cornflakes, I wouldn't go for quail's eggs. No, it was bacon and eggs. That for my, for my routine, Graham, for almost 20 years would have been bacon and eggs breakfast. Yeah. No pre-match, bacon and eggs breakfast and orange juice. You haven't done too badly on it. No, no. I'm eating too many Mars bars now, but apart from that... Yeah, sorry about the total, Lauren. It's the biggest compliment I can pay you to say that this has been even more enjoyable than I anticipated. You're a wonderful football man, and football is our living, all of us, and 
we're damn lucky at it. But to have people like you decorating it and bringing the fun into it is really uplifting. It makes every day better. And uh, this has been a joy and a privilege. Thanks for being so generous. Well, I wouldn't say I've been generous, but from the first time I spoke to you on the phone, I've been looking forward to it. And I really enjoyed it. I have, honestly, I hope it's been worthwhile for your people that are going to listen. But it's been a pleasure. Apologies to Everton fans, Man City fans, Hartlepool fans. I don't know where else. You never played at Aberdeen. But we will meet again at the camp now in the second leg of the Champions League, Barcelona-Arsenal. Perfect. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.